Good morning. Welcome to chapel this morning. My name is Linnell Yoder, and I'm a sophomore elementary education major from Goshen. This morning, I'd like to extend a special welcome to all the prospective students that we have visiting with us this weekend, and also to um, the representatives from various service agencies and seminaries who are um, going to be available in the connector after chapel for you to talk with. This morning, we'll be hearing from Anton Flores, an immigration civil rights activist from Georgia. About four years ago, Anton held a tenure-track position as assistant professor and chair of the Department of Human Services and Sociology at LaGrange College in LaGrange, Georgia. It was around this time that he left this job to respond to a calling from God to live alongside and advocate for immigrants from Latin America. He co-founded the Alterna Community, a missional community comprised of both U.S. citizens and Latino immigrants. The Alterna Community is committed to accompaniment, advocacy, and hospitality, and cites the Bible as a basis for its values. Anton's unpaid, self-directed vocation includes helping immigrants caught in legal crises, organizing vigils and protests, visiting detainees who are waiting to be deported, aiding immigrants in finding jobs and learning English, and educating others about immigration issues. I had the privilege of getting to know Anton last year over spring break when I visited the Alterna community with other Goshen College students as a part of a GC-sponsored service trip. We got to stay in the community, visit detainees, walk with the Dreamwalkers in support of immigrant rights, attend a protest, listen to amazing stories, and learn to know wonderful individuals, including Anton's wife, two sons, and other members of the Alterna community. I'm excited to hear what Anton has to share today, but first, please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for today and for this time in which we can gather together as a community in your name. I thank you also for Anton and pray that you would guide him as he shares with us today about the mission that you have placed in his heart. Open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to hear and understand what he has to teach us about our diverse brothers and sisters. No matter how we feel about the difficult issues surrounding immigration, let us be present in this time and enable us to learn from what we will hear. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand and turn in your green sing the journey books to page number 30, Jesus Christ is waiting. We'll be singing verses one, three, and five. Jesus Christ is waiting, waiting in the streets. No one is his neighbor, all alone he eats. Listen, Lord Jesus, I am lonely too. Make me friend or stranger, fit to wait on you. Jesus Christ is healing, healing. Walk one step before me, I will follow. 
Well, good morning, and it's Friday. <laughs> Maybe we find something worth praising today. I want to just make one clarifying statement before I jump into uh, my message this morning. And I'm appreciative of the invitation to be here, and I wanted to just make one clarifying statement uh, that came out in the article that was in the, in the Goshen College record. There is a statement in there about uh, ethics and adoptions, and I just wanted to clarify and say that when we adopted our son from Guatemala, uh, we entered into a world that was filled with ethical dilemmas. There are many documented allegations of children, of many children, who have been purchased for international adoptions, both in Guatemala and elsewhere. There have been allegations of children who have been stolen and then placed into uh, adoptive families through Guatemala. And that is, in large measure, why currently in the country of Guatemala, international adoptions have been halted so that that system can be refined. But my entry into that has been to try to find an ethical common ground so that we as adoptive families can know that we are adopting children in as ethical a manner as possible and that we also consider our moral responsibility as individuals who have not only adopted children but who have adopted a country and a culture. And I think that if you heard my story on Wednesday and as you hear today that perhaps you will see that what we are doing is, is trying to embrace exactly that, to address some of the root causes, not only of migration, but even of international adoptions. Uh, and to say that not only have we adopted a child, but that we have adopted a country and a culture and a people. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of make that clarification because I wasn't certain if that was accurately understood uh, as I read the uh, newspaper article about that. Let's uh, just have a moment of silence and then I will actually uh, begin. Hay un amor para cubrir este mundo hoy. Dicen que es el fin, pero es el principio. No incline su cabeza, mira hacia el cielo, porque todo va a estar bien. There's enough love to go around this world today. Some say it's the end, it's the beginning, I say. So don't hang your head low. Just look up to the sky. Because everything is going to be all right. That's a chorus to a song that I wrote for a foster son who came to live in our home. I was an undergraduate student in social work. I was attending a church that talked a whole lot about the issue of pro-life. As an undergraduate social work major, I was at a shelter 
for children who are abused and neglected, in need of a forever family. And in my church, while we talked about the politics of abortion, as I scanned around my church, I saw no single adopted child. And so, for me, you can't say you have a value if you don't find a way to incarnate it. And so if my values were one that I felt that life was sacred, that all life is sacred, and I was working alongside and being in this place with children who needed families, how could I not invite the stranger into my home? So that chorus was written, along with a song, was written for a 14-month-old foster son who came into our life. And I'll talk more about that later. But I think it's important to talk about that idea of saying that when your values do not match up with your life, I sit around with a lot of folks who can talk about politics, who hold on to these quote-unquote progressive views about politics, and yet the way they live their lives is no more distinguishable from those who say they hold on to conservative views of politics. Just the conversations are different. Not the lifestyles. And so this morning, I want to talk a bit about our lifestyle. And I'm going to be referencing the book of John, chapter 4. Chapter 1. Chapter 4, sorry. Verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard... Quote, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee. And here's a quote. Here's an important verse that I'll get to. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to the Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I'll stop there. Remember that first verse that I pointed out in verse 4? It said, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus is traveling northward, 
Now here's an interesting statement though. In this text it is saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Indeed if you looked at a map you would say well sure. Because Samaria is right smack dab in the middle of his starting point and his destination. But culturally speaking. Culturally speaking there was such animosity between Jews and Samaritans. For a number of reasons that we won't have time to go into this morning. But there were a number of reasons why Jews and Samaritans would not have associated with one another. They would not have even traveled into the other's territory. It would have actually have been more customary, more culturally appropriate for Jesus to have circumvented, to have traveled around Samaria. Rather than go through Samaria. In my town of LaGrange, I don't know the context here, but in my town of LaGrange, we have not the proverbial other side of the tracks, but we have the literal other side of the tracks. We are still a very segregated community by race and class and power and all of the ways in which we divide ourselves. And the railroad tracks do actually form a line of demarcation. And there is one section of, of LaGrange in particular that is always viewed as the less desirable part of our community. And yet between the area of concentrated wealth and that community on the other side is one of our community's high schools. And so high school students who get to have the privilege of driving to school are oftentimes told by their parents to take a bypass to circumvent this part of town. And I know lots of adults who also would seek to avoid driving through this part of town. It would be totally culturally appropriate to take a slightly longer route in the name of safety. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Are you catching the point here? It said Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is not a statement about direction. This is not a statement about this is where his GPS was saying and every time he tried to go a different way it said, you know, recalculating. I wish I was like a GPS. They're so patient. You don't get it. You know, I was a professor. I was not a GPS-like professor. <laughs> I didn't just say, okay, recalculating. This is not a statement of direction. This concept of having to go through Samaria is a statement of mission. Now, when you read that text and it says, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. It makes sense within the mission of who Jesus was. And who Jesus is and therefore who we are to be. So my question for you is not to talk so much about how I'm trying to figure out mission. But rather where do you have to go? Where do you have to go? Now I recognize that especially in my church background, there is this obsession with finding the will of God. 
as though it's some mystery to unfold, as though there's one right package, and I don't want to have this misinterpreted. I am not talking about having to go and seek out this one particular mission for your life, as though it is only singular and a mystery, and somehow God is playing an eggshell game with you where you have to figure that out. To me, much of mission is simply about the concept of what I said. What are the ideal values of the kingdom of God? And how do you live fully into those ideal values? And as you live into those ideal values and you match those ideal values with your spiritual giftedness and you place that in a place of human need and of suffering, then you have an insatiable desire to go where you have to go. So it's less about answering the question, does it mean I work here, live here, study here? And it's more about how do I merge those values with my gifts, with the, with the suffering of this world? And then you will know where you have to go. And you all have heard my story about where I am sensing that I have to go. At a CPT gathering, I did a workshop and I called it, I called my workshop on how I became an illegal American. I think there's some good theology in that statement. In verse 6, it says, Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. In some listening sessions that I've had since Wednesday's chapel session, one of the questions that came up kind of repeatedly was, well, how do you sustain that? You know, first of all, people were like, well, Anton sounded pretty reckless. He left his job. My wife is a school teacher. We live simply. We live off her income. She actually makes more money than I did when I taught at the college. So don't think that your college professors make all that. But how does one sustain a life of mission? I don't have thick skin. I am very sensitive to criticism. It pains me to be rejected. It pains me to see the folks with whom we live be rejected. How does one sustain? What I find encouragement in this text is that it says that Jesus was worn out by the trip. I find that refreshing. That Jesus gets worn out by doing missional things. And so what does Jesus do? He sits down at the well. What is your well? I had been reading and I heard this morning this conversation about the quiet room here and this, this call to 24 hours of prayer. I got to meet some individuals right after our Wednesday chapel who were, who were having kind of more of a contemplative service here. You can't sustain a life even of faith-based activism if it's not matched by 
a contemplative life, a life of retreat, a life of nurturing the soul, a life of being within community with individuals. That's the core of Alterna, is the community with whom we live. I should give up, if I have to ever give up anything, I should give up speaking, I should give up advocacy, I should give up accompaniment long before I ever give up the community of folks with whom we are trying to live an alternative model of what this kingdom says we should be about. But Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. And the beautiful thing about the well is the well was right in the middle of Samaria. I'm not talking once again about this North American concept that retreats have to be this kind of pampered luxury where we go someplace and spend lots of money. I am saying, though, that even in the midst of hostility, even in the midst of strife, we can nurture and develop the contemplative spirit. And that we must. So here's Jesus sitting at this well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, in the heat of hostility and strife. And along comes a Samaritan woman. And I know that there was a chapel recently where this was the text. And I would imagine that there was a lot of emphasis on dissecting who this Samaritan woman was. So I'm going to kind of gloss over that other than just to say that Jesus crosses a lot of borders in this encounter. Are you hearing it already? Jesus had to go through Samaria. He, Samaria. he crosses a border. He has an encounter with a woman who is ostracized in her own community, who is a Samaritan with whom they wouldn't have associated, who is a woman with whom a male would not have associated. Jesus crosses borders all the time. That's why it makes sense when, when Bob Eckblad, a Presbyterian minister out of Washington State, refers to Jesus... As our good coyote. In Spanish, el buen coyote. Now you might not understand, like, okay, what's the idea? He's, no. A coyote, for those of you who don't understand, is a human trafficker. The coyote is someone that if you are going to enter into el norte without legal authorization, and you're going to track through Texas or Arizona, you're going to hire at exuberant prices, maybe $3,000. Maybe you're going to deed over your family's land to, to have this person carry you through. And they're going to carry you into a new land against the law. But the problem is, is that the coyote isn't always good. There are good coyotes who make sure the children who are trekking through the deserts are taken care of who pick up folks who were abandoned by other coyotes. But there are also bad coyotes who do the abandoning. Who commit acts of sexual violence against women that they are responsible for taking into this desert land. Who exploit financially. I mean, there are bad coyotes. And yet Ekblad says, but Jesus, Jesus is our good coyote. Why? 
What is it that Jesus does to all of us? This is why I said I have become an illegal American. What is it that Jesus does to all of us? Jesus takes us into a new land against the laws of sin and death. And yet he does it freely. And he never abandons us in the deserts of our life. And he provides us with living water in the desert. Some folks, I use the term wetback, as, and I was using it to say that as a part of the dehumanization process, how we uh, utilize these derogatory terms against migrants. But some folks weren't familiar with this term wetback. The idea of a wetback is that when someone crosses the border, if they cross through Texas many times, they'll cross the Rio Grande. And so they, they cross over, and when they get out, they're wet. And so the idea of a wet back is someone who did a river crossing to enter the United States. Well, Ekblad goes further. Ekblad says, you know what? And this is a good Anabaptist theology, right? When you are baptized, you become a wet back to this world. Right? What is baptism about? Baptism is about saying, my citizenship, my allegiance, my loyalty is with this kingdom that knows no boundaries, that knows no borders. Not through time, nor space, nor geography. And we become wetbacks. The word Anabaptist was a derogatory term. So we should have a song that says, I am a wetback for Christ. Here he is and having this encounter with this woman. And she gets into this discussion that's, 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 that shows her internalized oppression. Right? Like, who are you to be talking to me? We don't associate with one another. And Jesus says, if you knew. If you knew. On Wednesday, I said that the process of moving towards a life of solidarity was found in that Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, where God says to Moses, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cries on account of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And you got that, right? The idea of, of seeing the misery, that's from a distance. But then hearing the cries involves getting to actually listen to the individual and give them voice. But solidarity is going one step further and says, I am intimately aware and intertwined with the sufferings of those who are in misery and who are oppressed. And here is Jesus using that word no. In this encounter, and he says, if you knew the gift. I want you to reread John chapter 4, and I'm going to point out something to you. 
Jesus had need, right? He was worn out. He sits down by the well and he asked for a drink of water. Once again, oftentimes when we look at John 4, we get stuck on the text about the living water and what Jesus is offering. But Jesus requested water. And yet when you reread that entire text, you will never ever even see mention that Jesus was ever offered a drink of water. What happened? I think that what happened is that there was some intentionality there. Because in Matthew, most of us know this passage, Matthew 25, right? What does Jesus say in Matthew 25 about being thirsty? He says, I was thirsty. And he doesn't say it in the past tense. He's saying every time we have an encounter with the least of these. And they thirst. I thirst. Every time we have an encounter with the least of these and they thirst. There is Jesus sitting at the well saying, I am thirsty. And so through the migrant for me, the gift, if I only knew the gift that God wants to give me through an encounter, an encounter with those who live on the margins, an encounter with the migrant, if I only knew the gift, I was thirsty. And when you gave me something to drink, when you gave that person something to drink, you gave me something to drink. The Jesus at the well is the same person who visits us in the distressing disguise of the poor and of the stranger and who says, may I have a drink of water? I want to close. We're going to actually show a video clip. The song that I sang for you, um, I have placed onto YouTube with some images of places where I have been, where Jesus thirsts. I invite you to watch this in reflection and ask the question, Jesus, where do I have to go? And Jesus, where do I go when I'm worn out on my trip? And Jesus, where do I have the awesome privilege of knowing the gift? Please watch. Song I wrote and then blessings on your eight day. Eight plus years ago, we became foster parents. And the child who came to live with us at 14 months of age had this tendency, perhaps because of the physical abuse that he had sustained the first 12 months of his life, to always look down at the ground and keep his head hanging low. So I sat down at the piano in our hallway. I don't play, but I know chords, and I wrote this song for this child. In 2001, September 11th, I was teaching at the college, and there was a gathering at the quadrangle as we tried to reflect on how our world had just changed. And I sang this song. In 2004, a little church that is bringing together, if you know anything about the country of Colombia, it's in a civil war and there are paramilitary and guerrillas in the military, all at odds with one another, and civilians caught in the crossfire. 
And we go to this church that's doing this phenomenal work at reconciliation between two former enemy groups, the paramilitaries and the guerrillas. These former combatants now worshiping in the same church. I had translated the song into Spanish and sang this song for them. So now I'd like to just take this song. It seems to have a meaning of its own and that it was originally, I wrote, for a 14-month-old. I would like to now just sing it for you. There's enough love to go around this world today some say it's the end it's the beginning i say so don't hang your head low just look up to the sky because everything is gonna be all right times when life can seem so hard and you wonder where in this world is God but let me say when the pains of life are great there's a love that's greater still there's enough love to go around this world today some say it's the end it's the beginning i say so don't hang your head low just look up to the sky because everything is gonna be
Anton for that uh, challenging and encouraging message. Um, we're gonna close with one song. Um, if you wanna stand with me and turn in your blue hymnals to page 229, um, we'll sing the first verse, first in Spanish, and then second in English, the first verse in English as well. Tú has venido a Loia, no has buscado ni a sabios ni a ricos, tan solo quieres que yo te siga. Señor, me has mirado los ojos y sonido. dismissed. <laughs>